getting the MBA, the MBA was absolutely mind-blowing. Then you just want to go tell your mum. My dad died uh, about four years ago. You know, that's one of the first things you think about. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line. I'm Simon Middleton. I'm Simon Middleton, head coach of the England Red Roses. I think what makes a good head coach, and, and that's for other people to say whether I am or not, that's for sure, is being able to trust the people that you work with, understand the people that you work with, identify who you need around you in your programme, and then empower them and support them to do their job. And I think that's one of the, the massive strengths of the Red Roses. We've got a, an incredibly good staff team who care deeply about their work and deeply about the players. I think knowing your squad is really important. If you get to it, to know the person, understand the person, it helps them work with you and it helps you work with them. I, you know, typical Yorkshire family, I was from a, a working class background. Both parents were re- really hard to support us and give us everything they could. I have two older brothers. We were a football family, like most families were at that time. My dad was was a bit of a cricketer in his day, so we followed that a little bit. But I loved I loved the Six Nations. I remember watching Bill Beaumont and that era playing, and you know it was the highlight of the year for me. And that was when my real passion for rugby came in. I was a really, really scrawny, ginger-haired, very pale-skinned kid who didn't play much rugby at school, wasn't particularly uh, wanted in the team, I don't think, by teammates in the loosest sense. And then I got involved when I came out of school, to be honest. I went down to, to my local club to watch my brother play, and there was a coach there, a guy called Dave Jervis. And like, like most players who you speak to now, when you ask who influenced their careers the most, it's not their coach who they're working under now, it's... Who introduced them to the game? It might be a school teacher, it might be a parent, or for me, it was, it was Dave. He just put the fun into playing rugby, and, uh, and my outlook on the game was totally different, and my ability to play the game was totally different, I found, and, and that's where it sort of all started from. Oh, I, I played rugby union. Uh, rugby leagues gave the life out of me. There was a lot of amateur rugby league sides around around where we played, and you used to go watch them on a Sunday morning, and you know, I would think, I'll, I'll never get involved in that. That is way too rough. <laughs> so it was more by chance. In fact, it was very much by chance that I got picked up from Nottingley by Castleford and it was it was moved from rugby union to rugby league it was so quick and you know the elevation of the standard I was playing. I always loved training and I, I always loved a challenge. I was incredibly hard working. I wasn't a particularly talented player. I developed pace at quite a late age and I, and I just had a real hard work ethic and, and I wanted to make the most of the opportunity. I think the, the experiences I had as a player and growing up unquestionably stand me in really good stead and have stood me in really good stead to understand the players more. All through my playing career with Castleford and half of my coaching career, with Leeds, I had a full-time job. I ran at the, the, the same side of it. So I, probably being 32, 33, I had this, this full-time job. So I understand what the girls did before they went to professional contracts. I understand that they had to work hard. And I also understand that they probably have other interests outside rugby that they, they need to, to draw and to, to supplement their income. 
you know, so so I I fully understand and, and can empathise with with the effort that they've had to put in and balancing the, the the work, rugby and social life, which is really important. Has got Murdoch behind him. He's got Middleton there, and Middleton scores another. The big smile says it all. Castleford will be amongst the leaders tonight. I would describe Samuel Middleton as a coach's hard and very intense. I'm Jess Breach. I play for Saracens and England Rugby. I've got to know him so much more over the years about being in the programme that I'm definitely more comfortable around him, which I think is so important with a coach that you're comfortable around them off the pitch because they're just another, you know, human and they have feelings, emotions, family. So I think it's really nice that I know him off the pitch as well as on the pitch. As I say, I come from a very normal hard-working family. Both my parents worked at a local glass factory in Nottingley. My brother worked there. I, my oldest brother had gone to university and he, he, he got, he'd chosen a different direction. I was a little bit like, I finished my qualifications literally on a Thursday morning and on Thursday afternoon I started as a temp mending pallets. I stayed in there and I moved into the factory and then I moved from the factory and then I moved into the, to the design office. And I had 25 years with a company. So the, the, the amateur bit, not only wasn't a problem, because you trained on a Tuesday night, trained on a Thursday night, played on a Saturday, and then went to work again on a Monday. When the Castleford came in for me, it was sort of semi-professional rather than the professional. So there was still training on the evening. There was some training on a Friday during the day. Because Castleford was so massive as a rugby league side, and probably half the population of the company supported Castleford and half sport Featherstone, like I just got great backing from everybody, you know, and particularly my bosses. And they sort of said, yeah, we can make it a little bit flexible, your job. And that's where it started. And then the rugby league got more and more professional, more and more in the daytime. So I'd, I'd start a little bit early and then I'd, I'd go back at, at night sometimes and I'd work on a weekend. Oh, but Tom Middleton should have best from outside. Good try, Cass. I moved to Leeds and I played at Leeds and I got my coaching career at Leeds. That became very very challenging. So I would go into work at six o'clock and I would do two hours and then I would leave at eight o'clock to get there for a meeting at 9.30 or a training session at 10 o'clock and we would train till about two o'clock. Then I would come back to work and probably work till about 10 o'clock at night some nights. It was long hours and I've got a young family at this point, but you get used to it. I think that the work ethic that had been instilled into me by my parents stood me in great stead. Whatever I've done, I've always done to my best of my ability or I've certainly tried to and I think that reflected well and I think they were they were they were very proud of the the association as well so I was I was backed fantastically well by my company but more, more so by my wife and my family I just had to put the hours in and uh, you know you, you, you do that and you, you do it while ever you're inspired to do it and you think it's worth doing and and I never didn't feel it wasn't worth doing but then when Stuart Lancaster took over at Leeds. Uh, we got promoted first year out of the championships. And rightly so, Stuart was like, I need all my staff full time. And then I had a choice, which was I have a go back and work at Rockware, which was the company I worked at. I leave the coaching. And I knew if I left, I probably wouldn't get that level of coaching again. That was probably the biggest decision I've ever made in my coaching career, for sure. Because I had, I had a five-year-old, I had a two-year-old, I had a mortgage, and I knew I would be more than halving my salary and going into a job where I had 25 years and a rock solid pension and everything. 
and it probably would have still been there now to a really volatile club and a volatile industry. That, that, that was really the crossroads. To be honest, I think if my wife would have said, I don't think you should do this, I probably wouldn't be sat here now. But she was like, you've no choice, you've got to do this because if you don't, you'll never forgive yourself and you'll always wonder. So I made the decision to leave. He's humble. I think he's got very good integrity. He's very hardworking. He's always prepared to listen to other people's opinions and adapt. I'm Stuart Lancaster, currently senior coach at Leinster Rugby. I've played with and worked with Simon in a coaching capacity since the late 1990s. When I took over, a lot of players had left Leeds. We only had seven players left, in fact. We signed a load, 15 new players. We promoted a lot from the academy. And Simon, myself and uh, Daryl Powell basically were given the challenge of trying to put this team together that was going to get promoted in the Premiership. It was an amazing year and we actually got promoted into the Premiership at the first time of asking. I'd still rank that achievement that we did as a coaching team as one of the highlights of my career. We had to try and build a squad that would win in the Premiership but on basically half the money that everyone else had. So we talked about changing the defensive system and then we played the first game and we got absolutely smashed by Gloucester. But in typical Simon fashion, you know, he was more than prepared to change his philosophy. He was always destined to be a really good coach because he was always had a growth mindset. He always had a an eye for detail. He's a very good presentation skill, a good way with players, and he's passionate. I think if you'd have asked him then, you know, you're going to achieve what you achieved, I think he would have uh, never would have believed it, really. Three years later, Stuart had left, Neil Back had come in, I had a real good relationship with Neil, and when Neil left, I went for the Leeds job, the head coach's job, and I didn't get it. And the first time in sort of 20 five, 30 years nearly, I was out of a job completely. You know, from having two jobs to having no job was pretty scary. You feel quite lonely. You know, you've been involved in so much for so long and then there's nothing. I probably felt a little bit sorry for myself for a couple of weeks, but then I was like, you need to get your act together here. One of the biggest things it taught me that period was don't panic. There's always going to be something. If you're prepared, there's always going to be something around the corner and you've no idea how it's going to turn out. I sent CVs out and, and like a business letter to loads of colleges and schools, private schools, and I was going to do like some coaching consultation and stuff like that. And my CV and my letter landed on the desk of the principal of Bishop Burton College the day she sat her director of rugby. And uh, she picked it up, she opened it, and she read the letter, she phoned me up. Her name was Jeanette Dawson. She was unbelievable person. And she was like, do you, want to, do you want to come down and have a look and have a chat about things and see what you think? And I went... Yeah, okay, no problem. I was like, what are you thinking? She says, tomorrow, come on in, 7 o'clock. And just put the phone down. Found, found out where it was, went there, 7 a.m. She met me at the gates. She walked me around the most incredible place. And she was like, right, you want the job? And and I'm like thinking, yeah, probably, I probably need to take it, even for no doubt. But I thought, yeah, I like the place. I said, yeah, yeah, I love it. She was excellent, because all the scholars are in the gym waiting for you. And she marched me to the gym and she walked in. She said, this is your director of rugby. Shut the door behind her and walked out. <laughs> And I had two years there of the biggest learning curve I've ever been on. <laughs> Working in education with young people is the biggest eye-opener. He, he taught me how to put a programme together, how to be a director of rugby, as much as a head coach, about young people, about education, how education and sport are so critical and do and go so hand-in-hand. Hand. But it was the hardest job I've ever had. It was unbelievable. You know, I thought holding two jobs down was difficult until I went to Bishop Burton, but it was incredible. But the lads were great. They were absolutely wild when I first got there. It was, it was a brilliant experience. Yeah.
When I came into England, just being able to connect with the young players, it was so much easier because I'd done that work, just how great young people are. I really appreciate how great young people are to work with. I got an opportunity because I'd, I'd, I'd sort of coached with England, guest coached, because uh, I met Gary Street on my level four coaching. I got asked, Nicky Ponsford for me up and asked me if I would go as assistant coach or if I could go as assistant coach with Graham Smith to Italy to the European Championship in Rotavera. I asked Jeanette if I could be released to go because it, it was in term time. I knew she knew what was going to happen if she let me go, but she let me go anyway. That got me a lot closer to the England setup, and it wasn't long after that that Nikki phoned me and she was like, there's, there's an opportunity coming up, help us with the preparation for the World Cup, but you'll also be Seven's head coach. I remember going in and telling her and uh, I was so nervous, but it was made a lot easier by her because she was like, yeah, you, you, you've got to take this job. So I, I owe her a massive amount, you know. When I was at Leeds, coaching at Leeds, we were in the Premiership, but we were in and out of the Premiership. And Gary Street, he was looking to try and supplement some of the coaching that was going on with the, with the, the girls, with, with guest coaching. And, and he, he was like, do, do you fancy coming along? And I, I was I was defence coach at Leeds. I was like, yeah, 100%. I was like, wow, coaching your country, that is amazing. And I went, and uh, they were just phenomenal. You know, I was so, I was blown away by their, their attitude and their commitment to it. So, you know, Gary was, do you, you want to come back and do some more? I'm like, mate, Pencil me in for anything that's going. Give me a ring. If I can come, I'll come. Just, you know, really enjoyed it. And and, and I've never looked on it as as coaching w women as opposed to coaching men. It's You just coach. Obviously, there's differences. And as you go along, you learn what the differences need to be. In terms of how I've actually coached the girls, they just want to be coached rugby. So I coach them exactly the same way that I coached men's team when I were at Leeds. All the same defensive principles, probably the same drills. They respect that. But I'm a little bit like, well, you don't have to respect it because it's like that's how it should be done in my book. You change certain things around, but it's not around how you play the game. It's not around the how you coach the game. It's just probably about how you wrap the game up a bit, how you message, how you understand what, what's important for probably female athletes as opposed to male athletes who affects their confidence, which is very different to what affects men's confidence. And you just learn how to feed into that. And I think that the players as well, you've got to give them the respect that they are as individual people and the responsibility for them to be representatives of the shirt, whether they're in it or they're not in it, it lies with them. They genuinely understand the position they're in. They know they're incredibly lucky to be part of this setup and they treat it with huge respect. It's just treating them like, like adults and just, you know, give, giving them their the freedom to make the decisions that ultimately will influence their career. And uh, that's probably how you breed the responsibility. It went forward. Anderson's able to get away from the young winger. He's got Middleton in. Middleton's in. I would describe Simon Middleton as he's very professional, sometimes angry, but is a very good person, I think. And he's genuinely willing to get the best out of us as players and people and, and obviously wants the best for the team. I'm Hannah Bottomen. I play for England and Saracens. <laughs> I don't know whether he'll react well to me saying that he was angry. To be fair to him, he's not an angry person. There's just been a couple of times that he's raised his voice um, and probably rightly so. I think we, we have a, a good relationship and yeah, I think he's, he's a very good coach. 
one of the things that that is apparent in the men's team is that the academies are that much stronger and the, there's just that many more young lads playing the game and, and, and the drive to develop young players through grassroots and then into academies just seems probably a little bit more focused. But I think we're getting there. The key bit is to remember that the women's game is still a long way behind the men's game in terms of how long it's been going, the longevity of it. And I think where it's positioned now compared, if you pro rata how long the, the, the women's professional game, for instance, has been going compared to the men's professional game, you know, we're miles ahead of where they would have been. You know, you, you look at what the, the Lionesses have done, and that'll impact massively on how many young girls are playing and, and how it's viewed. Because all of a sudden, you know, it's not just a participation thing, it becomes a commodity because now all of a sudden BBC want to cover all the, the Women's Super League games. Once it starts becoming a cash generator, then there's different parties want to get interested in it. Getting the, M the NBA was uh, just absolutely mind-blowing. And you see generally how people get recognised, and rightly so, for... For achievements in sport, but I remember getting the, you know, getting the email for that, and, and right up to the moment that I was actually called by the cabinet to confirm some details, I thought it was a wind up. Like when I got it, I read the email, and I was like, and my daughter was there, and like I just give the laptop to her, and she read, it, she's like, oh my god, she's, and then she's, she's, of course it's real, look at this. And I was like, no, I'm not sure about it. And so, you know, then you just want to go tell your mum. My dad, my dad died. Uh, he died. He died during the Six Nations, actually, uh, about four years ago. So, you know, that's one of the first things you think about. Uh, sorry. Yeah, you, you wish, you know. But you know, my mum's like, my mum's like, yeah, he'll know, he'll know. And I remember uh, they sort of said, oh, this is when it's going to come out. And it, it, it's a bit weird. It comes out on a Friday night. I think it's the London Gazette. And, and I, <laughs> I'm writing to fishing. <laughs> That's one of my pastimes. I got back into it during COVID and whatnot. And I was fishing in a match on a Saturday morning. And the match is to start at 10 o'clock, but you get there about half past eight. And my phone just, it, I think it actually went out. It comes out in the magazine at night. And then it, it obviously surfaces in the morning. And I was thinking, oh, not now. I've got to get fishing. <laughs> and so many people who supported me all the way through my career, right back to Nottingley. And particularly, I probably got more messages from the people at Nottingley, which was absolutely fantastic, you know. And, and that really sort of, you know, that makes you feel incredibly proud. And, and, you, you, know, and you think to yourself, I hope they're getting as much out of this as I am, because this is very much for everybody I've played rugby with and, and whatnot. And, and, and so I think that could sound a bit corny, but it, it's about, you know, you don't get something like that without having a massive amount of support and input. Yeah, so that, that, that was incredible. Like every year, we with the coaching awards, Emily flags up. We go, oh, we've, we've got some nominations for the coaching awards. She goes, oh, we've got some nominations, and then she read out that I'd been nominated, and I was like, oh my god, you are! And I was absolutely speechless. And then you know, when she read out who else was nominated, and I was like, wow, just to, just to get nominated in that company, yeah, was, was just amazing. Conor O'Shea called me up one morning, and he was like. Uh, not often I get a chance to speak to World Coach of the Year. And I was like, 
Oh my God. It just blows your mind because you, when you think where you come from and the one thing I, I know for absolute sure is <laughs> I'm not the best coach in the world. And, and the thing was, I never professed to be. I haven't got any ambition. I never had an ambition to be a head coach or I just went with it. I, I did something I love doing and it, yeah, it was just crazy how it all happened. To get to where we are takes a lot of hard work. I mean, it doesn't matter who we're playing. We don't change how we train. We train absolute max every time we go here and the highest of standards in everything we do. So to bolt 23 games together with that amount of intensity and the, some of the games have been really tough. We've been anything but our best in some, but the character that the players have shown is just incredible. So I'm incredibly proud of that. What do I hope? What do I see? For the Roses, I see a programme that is valued and supported massively by the RFU. I see fan base that is probably even more desperate to see female athletes at their best now because of how we perform, but now because of how the, the Lionesses have done and, you know, the growth of the f fan base. Hopefully that'll all culminate in the, the RFU achieving their vision for the women's game, which is a full stadium at Twickenham 2025 final with England. I, I really share that vision, but the stuff that goes behind, we, we, we've got to get more female coaches at a higher level and see the coaching now developing and coming through. We're better positioned now than we ever were because the reason there's so many male coaches in the female sport or certainly in rugby is because... I believe you have to really live through a professional era to understand what it looks like and what the demands are like and, and what the expectation is. Post this championship, there'll be two or three players who have lived that and are more than capable of transferring into the coaching world and being outstanding coaches. We've got a really good start point, I think, now in terms of where, where the coaching goes. But I think if we get our strategy right and our development right, there's every chance we can have one or two female coaches who certainly post-2025 can position themselves to be a significant influence or even head coach. Surely that's got to be what we aspire to be. Mm -hmm.